0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the CX cast. I'm your host, Angelina Jennis, and I have here my co-host, Adele Sage. Hi, Adele. Hello, hello. Today we have the honor of a guest you may be familiar with, Judy Weeder. She is a senior analyst on the CX team with me. Hey, Judy. Hey, how's it going, Angelina and Adele? And fun fact, she used to be on the CX Council team with me.
1: That's right. She's seen it all. Definitely. I have two of my favorite people on the line right now. So pretty awesome.
0: So Judy, you're rolling out some reports right now that I may say are groundbreaking for our team because one of the big questions we get when folks are starting their CX practice or find themselves years into their CX practice, to be honest, is, How do we set up prioritization? And you have a report on it. I do. It might be helpful to start with just the title of this report because it's not how to prioritize. It's actually the very first step, which is build a strong foundation for your CX prioritization. Can you talk about this title? The interesting thing when I was
1: first asked to come on board and then write about prioritization and that that was going to be the thing. Was to go back over all of the research that we had done on prioritization and see what really needed to change about it. The thing that I had discovered from a lot of conversations that I'd had from when I was a council advisor with Adele was that there were a lot of people that were struggling with even the basics of prioritization. And so it was quite possible that where we were positioning things was almost a little bit ahead of where people actually were. And I wanted to make sure that I moved the goalposts to where they needed to be for where people are right now, based on the conversations that I was having. What was also kind of amusing was that even though that was the very first thing that I was charged with doing, that ended up being something like the seventh report that I finally put out the door because all these other things were happening, but that gave me a chance to have more conversations with clients in the capacity of an analyst and hear from them what their challenges were and then bring that into all of my research interviews. So what I was then able to do was take what I'd learned as an advisor of where people were, Take what I had read from what we had previously and also consider where our clients were now when they were talking with an analyst and really reframe the conversation. It has to start by grounding people in data because a lot of them were sort of coming in saying, all right, I have this list of things I want to do. So tell me, how do I figure out which one I'm going to do first? And I would actually back them up. It's like pulling your child back by their coat or something to get them to jump backwards from a precipice. It was the same kind of thing, like you don't want to start putting things in order yet because you don't even know why you're putting them in order. You don't know what was behind all these decisions necessarily. And if you do, then great. But if you don't, then that's the first step. And so this report was really about making sure that those right foundations are there so that you're grounding the decisions that you're making in data and information and objective facts and not just based upon this is a thing that somebody thought would be a great thing to do. And there will be those moments where that has to happen, but to the extent that you can try to make your normal motion, one that is based on data, you'll find that your decisions are going to be much crisper and you're going to have a much better sense, not only of what you're trying to accomplish, but what your outcomes are going to look like. Then each of the successive reports will actually build on that foundation. And so the first one starts with get your data house in order, make sure you know what you have and what you don't have, and create a to-do list of the things that you don't yet have so you can fill those gaps. A very simple four box model, similar to the Eisenhower model, but it has a slightly different spin because it has more CX in it, obviously, thinking about customer impact and, and business impact. And then the models will actually step upwards from there in the intermediate report and the advanced report that will also be part of the CX transformation playbook. I love this foundation in data. Can you give some examples of the kind of data that people need to track down in order to begin to get to this model they need to build? Your best friends are going to be folks in a lot of the usual places, customer service. They're going to know why people are calling. They're going to know how many people are calling or reaching out via chat, reaching out via email. It's not always going to be a phone call these days. You're also going to want to go to the sources that maybe are less frequently tapped. Talk to finance. What's happening over there? Because they're also getting a really solid sense of what's happening with credit and collections, what's happening with accounts receivable. They'll have a really good sense of, What's taking place with the customers at a a different level and a different angle? You're gonna wanna bring in your legal and your compliance team because there may be regulations that you need to think about that you haven't necessarily considered that are also going to be a part of your decision-making process. Talk to your sales team. That's another one from that obvious pile. Definitely wanna talk to sales because they probably have Those ears to the ground that will tell you what your customers have been saying and things that may or may not be manifesting in any voice of the customer research or surveys that you're doing. And in particular, if you do have something that you've been seeing, but you're only seeing it at, say, quantitative level, so it's just numbers on a a survey report, talk to sales because sales will probably be able to give you the context and all that color commentary that otherwise you'd be missing out on because maybe that's not captured in your survey. there's lots of different places. The report actually has this good starter pack of places that you can go and people that you want to talk to and some of the questions and considerations that you're going to want to think about as you're having those conversations.
0: Judy, when I am thinking about what data I can include, whether it's probably mostly quantitative data, but there's probably also that qualitative element. And I noticed in your report, you mentioned a few things in that nature. So there's the art and science You have a whole bullet on qualitative research and the value there. You also have an interviewee, uh, VP of CX, who mentioned how you kind of have to remove the emotions from prioritization. So there's sort of a tension there. Where does qualitative, where does emotion come into play in prioritization?
1: It's hard. I mean, we're dealing with people. These aren't computers that are making all these decisions yet. Until Skynet is firmly in place, we kind of have to assume that emotion is always going to be part of it because people are going to have their own things that they want to get done, their own goals, their own objectives, their pet projects, and the things that they believe are really important. Maybe because it's important to them personally, it's a passion of theirs, or it was important to someone who they report to or somebody who's in their family or their set of friends. These are going to be the things that add emotion in. And it's okay to have that as part of it. Like as you're going through the process of prioritizing, you may find that there's something that isn't gonna be super great for the customer or is gonna be kind of low impact. But from a business standpoint, it's a really important thing to do because the business is trying to go in that direction. And it's the same kind of thing. You, you have to make this judgment of, well, do we really wanna do that? And the answer is yes. Even with emotion, you still wanna consider it, but you have to go into it eyes wide open and sort of understand why you're making the decisions you're making and what the consequences are. When it comes to qualitative versus quantitative, quantitative is great for removing a lot of emotion, but it also removes a lot of context because you're just looking at numbers on maybe a chart. And when you start looking at the qualitative, that's when the stories start to come out I wasn't able to access care and that led me to have to declare bankruptcy or that delayed something that I needed to get. And that tugs on your heartstrings and you have to consider those things because maybe that will be that last little bit that pushes something from a low impact or a maybe do to a higher impact and a must do. It's part of the conversation. You have to have it there and every business has to sort of identify to what extent they want to and can include it in every conversation. The thing with prioritization that I've been talking a lot about, because I've actually had a number of calls on this within the last few weeks, is that people don't always know why they want to make the decisions that they need to make. Right. And that's the really frustrating part. They know that they need to make decisions and they want to make the right ones, but they don't know how to make the right choices. It's actually the vision that needs to be the starting point for all of that. If you don't have a CX vision, you don't know why you're making the decisions you're making, and you don't have that guiding star to tell you this is the direction that you should be going in, or these are the things that matter more than others. And that also relates back to the emotion piece as well. It's a matter of having a good solid CX vision in place as that foundational element. If you don't have a CX vision, then you still need to pour concrete. You don't yet have a house. I see that as a real challenge for a lot of people It's the same thing with the data. If you don't know why you're making the decisions that you're making, then pretty much every decision that you're making is going to be at least somewhat dodgy or suspect. Why are you choosing that? Why is one thing better than another thing? Why should it be more important to do this other thing first? You have to know why. That's something that data will tell you. But if you don't have a CX vision, it becomes that much harder because then you don't know what's important to the business and what it wants to be for its customers.
0: What about in organizations where they're already entrenched in a way of prioritizing that is maybe skewed towards business benefits over customer benefits? In that case, are we still starting from scratch? And can we follow the approaches you've outlined in this report? Or is there a different approach that we need to take?
1: I think you can still follow the same approaches. If you have an organization that already has a defined prioritization approach, you want to figure out where CX needs to fit into that as opposed to trying to make the entire organization change to fit you. It's just going to be more productive trying to become part of something that's existing and that people are already comfortable with and aware of and know how to deal with. But you're going to have to bring some value to the table. It can't just be, we want to do this because this is the thing that everybody should be thinking about. Customer experience is super important. It's like you're going out there and you're trying to tell everyone that they should just love everyone else. I mean, yes, of course, everyone should love everyone else. Everyone should be nice to other people. That's all great. We want customer experiences to be great, but there's a cost for all of that. It's a matter of being able to explain the benefits. That the organization is going to get especially if that's how decisions have been made is to frame it up in a context that's familiar so then of course the things that you're bringing to the table are only going to make those decisions even better because you're helping them triangulate to the things that are great for the business and also great for the customer or at least that you understand how great they are and then the data piece helps you figure out what information you can bring forward that will help prove that. Whether it's identifying areas that customers are struggling with, which by the way, if they're experiencing a problem, may also be an employee experience issue as well, because that's probably also an ecosystem problem. So you could maybe kill two birds with one stone. It's also just the general ability to be able to find those things that are gonna do better for everybody, for all constituencies. So you're adding an additional layer Um, quality to the overall prioritization process. But definitely if there's something that exists, I wouldn't recommend coming in and saying, here's a whole new thing you should do. I recommend coming in with data that shows why certain things that are already on that list that they already have for the existing process would be even better scored or maybe not as well scored based upon what you know of what that means for the customer. And you're bringing in more valuable input. That in general seems to be a far easier way of trying to engage. As you know from your own research on CX culture, Angelina, trying to get someone to change by simply saying, well, this is bad, so I'm just going to bring in some whole other new thing doesn't tend to work super well. And I think the same thing really goes for prioritization.
0: No, I do believe that would get you shut down. Right. From what you describe, it also sounds as though any prioritization model is going to
1: iterate over time. It's not like once you get a model locked down, you are forever prioritizing using those exact criteria with those weightings in those same ways. And so moving from one model that's skewed too far in one direction and just you know, finding ways to alter it to make it more balanced is just part of what you're going to do forever. That's exactly it. It should be an evolutionary process that you keep nudging the super business-focused thing towards something that is a bit more balanced with the complete understanding that there are going to be those moments where you have to make a decision that's not always in the best interest of the customer, but it's something that the business has to do for whatever reason, whether it's regulations or something that's strategically important for the business, those sorts of things that sometimes you just, you can't always have it be perfect. And what you'll see in the following reports, which I am working on and and will be rolling out hopefully very soon, That model keeps getting bigger and better, but it requires that you keep getting more granular in your detail of what matters. So, if you start out with a four box and thinking about what's the impact to the customer, what's the impact to the business, then when you get to the next level up, which will be the new intermediate report, then you're thinking about three dimensions instead of two. So, customer impact, business impact, and feasibility. Can we even do this thing? And there are multiple criteria for each of these, but they're all still equally weighted. If the four box is almost like you're sitting with your feet in the pool, then by the time you get to the intermediate, now your legs are in the pool and maybe you're standing. And then when you get to the advanced level, you're now swimming. And that's the point where you have multiple criteria across more than three dimensions. And you've got customer impact, business impact, feasibility. And now we're going to layer in risk. And we're also going to layer in ROI. And over the course of time, you're going to dial up or down the weighting on each of the criteria and potentially even on the categories depending upon what you can withstand as a business and how you tend to need to make decisions. And I would strongly recommend, especially right now, where so much is in flux, that you don't leave your prioritization model sitting as though it were etched in stone. You should be reviewing it on average, no less than about twice a year in normal times. But I would certainly recommend right now, while we're going through a lot of disruptive change, to be reviewing your prioritization model about once every three months. I'd spoken with a global manufacturer, um, an auto manufacturer earlier this year, who had told me that they were going through and looking at their model at least every three months because they kept adding in more criteria as they had to keep adjusting for COVID-19. It is important that these things don't stand still. Thank you for that uh, preview also of what's to come in the next two reports. I know you, you alluded to it earlier, but that was, that was some really good detail for people what to expect. And those aren't even out yet. So thank you for the sneak peek. Happy to share. Very much looking forward to getting those reports out because I know that they will answer a number of questions that clients have had. And the goal is also to get tools in people's hands. I know that that's another piece as well is, you know, I don't want to start from scratch. What do we already have? Forrester provides a lot of great tools and templates, and these will go right on into that same library.
0: So Judy, what are the strengths you see in CX professionals who get prioritization right?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of the same things that one would find for any other great CX leader. They need to be endlessly curious because you're going to need to make sure that you're gathering information from a lot of different points and they need to be willing to build bridges. You have to be someone who can get a lot of people in a room and have really good conversations, but facilitate really good, sometimes difficult conversations about what needs to get done first. They should be very data-driven in their overall mindset and very well-organized because you're going to need that in order to be able to keep all of these potentially large moving parts organized across possibly multiple lines of business or you know even at the enterprise level. It's sort of all the same stuff that one would expect. I don't think that there's necessarily anything that's different about a great prioritizer, we can use that as the word, from someone who's a great CX leader because it's, it's just another really great skill that they should be able to have. And if they don't have it, then that's okay. There's probably somebody on their team who can help them with some of the organizational components. And maybe you pick someone from your team who can do certain pieces of it, but then you as the CX leader, you need to be the one who's getting all the people in the room and facilitating, and then maybe they're helping you with some of the organization as well. So it doesn't always have to be just one person. And I would certainly recommend not feeling like you have to take the world onto your shoulders to get it done. Love it. I lo- I'm loving all of the metaphors and analogies and... The colorful language. Prioritization is a very interesting place to be right now because so many people have had their worlds upended since the beginning of this year. And a lot of folks have asked me, how do I rethink my prioritization? And it's a matter of you need to be willing to change your model. And if you don't have a model, get a model. The model doesn't have to be complicated. It can be really simple, but you need to have some basis for how you're making the decisions about what you're going to do first. And if you can ground those decisions in data and you know what your CX vision is, so you know what your key criteria are for what matters to your business and what matters to your customers and how you want to be for them, you're going to be so much farther ahead. I worry that people are thinking that it needs to be some super duper complicated thing and that that's stopping them from getting even the most basic prioritization done. And so I'm hoping that this research in its various levels will help people feel like this is not that hard of a task and that they can just dive right in and get it done.
0: That was Judy Weeder, Senior Analyst Extraordinaire on the CX team here at Forrester. Her recent report, Build a Strong Foundation for Your CX Prioritization, can be found in our CX Transformation Playbook. Judy, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. Adele, thanks for co-hosting. Always a pleasure and we'll catch everyone next week on the CX cast. Bye for now.